0: The following is part of the teaching ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel in Barrie, Ontario. We believe firmly in proclaiming the Word of God without apology. For more information about our church, visit our website at harvestberry.ca or email us at info at harvestberry.ca. We trust that this message will challenge and transform you. Here's what I want you to start off thinking about. Uh, There's a short supply of happiness in this world. There's a short supply of happiness in the world. And perhaps that's why we're always looking for happiness. And if we find it, if we get a little bit of happiness, we find that it goes away. In our house, we have a debate. It's not much of a debate because I always put my foot down. But there are some people in my house that want dogs. (laughs) And uh, they try to convince me that a puppy would be a really happy thing to do. And I, I was thinking about it this morning, thinking, yeah, puppies are pretty happy. Even I agree, when I see a puppy, I'm, I get happy. But I remind my children and my wife this, um, if we bring a puppy home, it won't stay a puppy. It'll become a dog. And, and if I'm going to bring a pet home, it needs to do things for me. I don't want to do things for the puppy or the dog. So. You know, we we bring things like a pet home and we find out that even though it makes us so happy, when it was a little puppy, you know, that day the dog leaves you a present, it's not happy anymore. (laughs) Right? Happiness comes and it goes. Uh, There are places in the world that say they can sell us happiness. Places that claim to own it. And if you pay them some money, they'll sell you happiness. One of these places, you've heard of it, Disney World. You can, you can give them some money and they'll sell you happiness. They'll introduce you to princesses and all sorts of singing people, right? Um, maybe there's a place, a little island in the Caribbean, or the Caribbean, depending on how you like to say it, um, sandals or something like that, and you can go there, give them some money, buy a vacation, and they'll sell you back some happiness. Um, perhaps you're someone who likes to ski and you're excited like Pastor Dan is that it might snow this weekend and you could go somewhere and ski get into a chalet and then go into a sauna or a hot tub and find some happiness you can give them some money and they'll they'll sell you some happiness so you head off to those places and you go and you spend your week there and, and you realize that it's just like everywhere else they run out of happiness they don't own it you can go to Disneyland and find people crying in line you can go to the Caribbean and find people too I'm sore because of the suntan or sunburn. No suntan, sunburns. I don't really know what those are. Um, uh, And and if you go skiing, it's cold. It's cold. And you know, you run out of happiness. It's the same thing. Nobody can own happiness. You can't own happiness. I can't own happiness. Happiness is temporary and situational. It comes and it goes. So if you've come here seeking happiness today, you're going to find some. There are some happy people, you can hear them, right? But if you really wanted to find happiness, you should have been here last week. Because last week, we had this great announcement. We announced this amazing number that we've all decided to pledge together for this building, and it was crazy. I was there. You were here. We were whistling. We were high-fiving. We were dancing. We were having a great time over that, and it was pretty happy. But since then... Since then, a whole week has passed in this world, right? And the happiness of that moment by now has probably come and gone a few times, and you've probably been back to sad, you know, or upset or angry or anything like that, because happiness comes and goes. You can't own happiness. But I do have good news for you. When you trust in Jesus Christ, you can lay personal claim to biblical eternal joy. The joy Jesus offers is free, it's for you, and you can own it. When it's expressed, it goes beyond words, and it's full of glory. Let's take a moment to pray before we get into God's word this morning. Lord God, I thank you for this moment to open your word with our church. We, we love you, Lord. We're excited about what you're doing in us. But God, we want to stop and, and be prompted by the Holy Spirit about joy, about our rejoicing. To make sure that we're not just coming in here because you're a God who makes us happy sometimes, but that we're coming in here to declare your praise because you are the God who has delivered us joy. So God, I ask you to speak. I ask you to open up our hearts this morning. I ask you to take us forward. Help us to become your mature disciples in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Well, we've brought your Bibles. If you can turn to them, turn to First uh, Peter. I want to look at the first 13 verses there first 12 verses there actually first Peter chapter 1 I'd like to read that to you this passage gets us thinking about joy and it shows us how we can own it so Peter starts off identifying himself saying this Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are the elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus Galatia Cappadocia Asia and Bithynia according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. things into which the angels long to look. This is the Lord's word. We want to get into that. So you ready? Let's go. All right. In the middle of this opening, we have this rich description of joy. It says it's joy that's inexpressible and full of glory. Inexpressible is where I'm taking the phrase beyond words. It's, it's joy that's hard to talk about, but we're going to try. It's inexpressible. You can't quite put it into words. Joy like this is far more valuable than temporary happiness. Such joy describes what happens in our worship services here when our hearts are aligned together in Christ. And this joy is remarkable. It goes beyond words and causes people to take notice of God. So throughout the passage today, the Spirit is going to invite us in three different ways to rejoice. So the first invitation goes like this. Rejoice beyond words and full of glory even though you are not at home in this world. Rejoice beyond words and full of glory, even though you're not at home in this world. Well, you know that as we become more like Christ, we become less like the world. We change. We're transformed in Christ. And this transformation makes us different than the people around us. We're not the same as we used to be. We stop fitting in. And people begin to treat us a little bit like we don't belong. And it's not easy to remain happy when you don't fit in with the people you live around. You know this. You know what it's like to be treated a little differently now that you've told someone you're a Christian. You know that sometimes maybe at work, the fact that you were at worship puts you in a little bit in a different space than those people who spent the, the weekend doing something else. We're at odds. We're different. In Peter's time, the church was like immigrant people who came from a foreign nation into the Roman Empire. He called them the exiles of the dispersion. They didn't move into one region, but they were spread or dispersed around the whole area. And so they weren't together like we are right now all the time. They were separated out in the community in different locations. That's what dispersed means. That's what uh, the, the diaspora, the dispersion is referring to. So they were like us when we are in our small groups, or us living in our homes throughout uh, the different places around the GBA, and I say that, kind of connects me with the Toronto area, the GBA, we can, we can borrow that phrase and just use it, we start it right here make a trend in, in bury, right? But they're like us when we're meeting in our groups of 10 or 12 or 6, or, or sometimes you may be the only person in your house who believes. Or maybe it's just you and, and your, your wife or your husband. You're the Christian couple in your family, and, and you're isolated. You're, you're spread out. You're, you belong to this church, but you're not with the church all the time. And you're living among people that are different from you. So these early Christians were like foreign nationals who interacted with the culture, but maintained the customs of their homeland. It's still a good way for us to think about ourselves today. Today. We, we are like people who come from a different country, and we are here interacting with the culture, working, purchasing things, getting ready for Christmas, doing everything else that everybody else does, but we keep the customs of the homeland. Because we're not from here, we're from somewhere else. So that makes us temporary residents. And when you're a temporary resident, when you're a visitor, it's always a little bit uncomfortable. It's always not quite as happy as it could be when you're not living at your own place, in your own country. You're not at home when you're a temporary resident. At best, at best, our experience is like maybe being welcomed like an, an, an ambassador who gets to stay at the luxury hotel. What's the best hotel here in Barrie? Don't answer. Those people might listen to our sermon, and you want to be able to go there and get the best rate. So, but uh, if you could be treated like them and everything's going really well and people are happy to see you, wow, you're a Christian, come on in. Take, take our best stuff. We, we love you. We're glad you're here. That's the best we get. At worst, you're treated like an immigrant on the American deportation list. And they're trying to build a wall to keep you out of everything. The world may be treating you like you don't fit in. It's because you've become strange, just admit it. You're weird. You're weird, right? It's Sunday morning. You've worked hard all week. It's not even 10 a.m. And you're in some church singing songs with other people that are also happy and they haven't maybe had as much coffee yet, right? Or some people were here last night. It was Saturday night, five o'clock they're here. They should have been having dinner. They should have been out having wings and beers with their friends, but they came to a church. Right Next week and you're going to do the same thing. You're not going to plan to be away. You're going to plan to come together with some people that believe. You've kind of taken yourself because God has led you and now you're different from everyone else and you don't fit in and people treat you like you're weird. You've become strange. You talk a little differently. Right? Your true home is the place where how you act, how you talk, how you think makes sense. Your true home is with Jesus and Jesus is with God. So let's face it. It's hard to be happy when you live in a place where people keep reminding you that you don't fit in, that you should change, or you should just go away. It's hard to be happy if that's happening. It's hard to rejoice if your focus is there. But our rejoicing is in our identity in Christ and not our location in the world. Our rejoicing is in our identity and not our location. In Christ, our identity never changes. So Peter's going to lead us through a couple of theological fireworks. He's going to light some fireworks off for us right in these first five verses that kind of touch on these major themes of Scripture, and we're not going into them, but they're these, these $10 billion words, these, these $10 billion fireworks, and the, the best fireworks display of theology you're ever going to see is going to happen right here, except it's going to be a really bad sound because it's all made by sound effects with my mouth. In the new building, we can start off by lighting fireworks in a service or something like that. So if you look, I'm going to pull all these words right from the scriptures. He starts off, he uh, refers to these people as sanctified, sanctified for obedience. Bang! Boom! Fireworks, sanctified. God has done something with you and, and, and moved you from a place where you were unholy into holiness. That's That's an amazing theological point. He says, You've been, this has been done to you so you can be accepted by a holy God. And he's sprinkled blood on you. And this is a metaphor uh, back to the tabernacle in the temple when God wanted to use something for worship, he sprinkled blood on it so it'd be pure. It'd be, it'd be acceptable to him. He says, this is what we're like. We're acceptable to him now. And this is a fireworks. There's displays. There's, there's music. And there's lights going off from the sky behind these things. He says, about your identity. He says, you are in the line now. You are in the right line for multiplied grace and blessing. That's that blessing right there. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Sounds really good. Sounds really good. Pastor Jordan, um, when I was my first week here, he took me down to a place uh, downtown, Kensington Burger Bar. And we got in there and got in line to get a burger. And I like that. And so since I've gone there, I've had multiple burgers from this place, right? So when you find something, you want more of it. And if you've had a little bit of grace and peace from God, you're going to want more, right? So guess what? He says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. You're in the line. That's who you are. You are people in line for multiplied grace and peace. Bang! Another firework there. Here comes another one. Watch out. It's one of those loud ones. just kind of lights up the sky and does a sonic boom, right? God has caused you to be born again to a living hope and an amazing inheritance. This is who you are. People that have been born again, regenerated, refashioned, remade, you're new, you're not the old person you used to be, you're something new, something alive, more like that pristine little baby, clean from sin and moving forward in hope towards this bright future. And he talks about our inheritance, calling it undefiled and unfading. And yes, it's rich, but the words imperishable, undefiled, and unfading in verse 4, they're not really talking about the value of it. It's talking about the fact that it will always be there for us. So that much different from now, right now where, where our situation changes, where our daily needs aren't always met, and we go from sometimes being happy to unhappy because we still get sick, and we still run out of supplies, and, and we don't have everything we need. When we, when we get to meet Jesus and we receive our inheritance, it's never going to run out. When we go to our father's house, when we go to our dad's house, we're gonna be fine because when we're with our dad, we don't need anything else. And so he's just saying, this is who we are. Our father is gonna take care of us and when we go to see him, we're not gonna have any needs anymore. And finally he says, God is guarding you with his power until he's ready to reveal the salvation that is coming to this world. Those are the theological fireworks. Grand finale, right in the very beginning of the letter. And that's our identity. These fireworks are always going off. I don't know about you, hopefully you're not someone who's afraid of fireworks. I love seeing fireworks and they make me smile. They bring a sense of happiness, it's temporary, but it touches on our joy. These things should be lighting up for you because this is who you are. You can always rejoice in your identity even if you live in the hardest place to worship God. You own some joy when you understand this, that in Christ, where you are cannot change who you are. In Christ, where you are cannot change who you are. Some of you are set to go through Christmas, and that might take you back into your family, and maybe your family doesn't believe. Where you are cannot change who you are. Some of you will go from here into uh, your school system or your workplace and they don't believe, they ridicule you they invite you to be more like them where you are cannot change who you are when your identity is in Christ so we rejoice over that the second invitation of the spirit is to rejoice beyond words and full of glory even while suffering the tests of your faith look at verse 6 we'll pick it up there So he's just talked about our identity, saying we rejoice in that, though now for a little while, if necessary, I pondered those words, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, I pondered that phrase too, your faith which is more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So there's this rejoicing we had even while we're suffering the tests of our faith. Now according to the language scholars, in this part, they want us to make sure that we realize that the rejoicing that Peter is speaking about is ultimately what's going to be experienced when Christ comes back. There's going to be a level of rejoicing. There's going to be a level of of worship. There's going to be a party like the planet has never seen before when Christ returns. On that day, we're going to see off-the-chart praise, off-the-chart rejoicing. So we're talking about that ultimate experience, but we're also picking up on joy now in anticipation of that. And there's reason for us to rejoice even more than we have before right now. Because some of the joy that we experience is because we overcome, we actually overcome the test of faith. When you face something that's tough, and you have faced this before, just like I have, you face a moment where you begin to doubt. You, be, you begin to doubt that whether your faith will, will make it through whether that at the end of this painful trial that you will still come out the same kind of believer that you were when you went in. And you enter into that time and you walk through it and it's longer than you think it's going to be and it's harder than you think it's going to be and, it's, and you cry and you hurt and it's, and it's really rough. And then you come out from the other side and you look and say, wow, I made it through. I have faith. God is still with me. I'm still holding on to him. And you say, that's awesome. Right? And you can rejoice over that because your faith has overcome doubt. Because it is actually hard to follow Christ, sometimes. It's hard to do that, and yet, here we are. By his grace and his mercy to us, here we are, we're here, we're still doing that. Are we surprised that our faith is tested? Are you surprised when when something comes up that says, oh, this is gonna be hard for you, where, where, where you're like, I'm gonna doubt through this, it's gonna be difficult for me, I'm not sure that I can do this. You shouldn't be, you shouldn't be surprised. Jesus put the struggle out there for his very first disciples. If you can flip over to Matthew five, you don't have to do it, I'll get there for you if you want. But in Matthew five, Jesus was giving out the Beatitudes, saying blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who mourn and all that stuff. And Then he comes along and says blessed are the persecuted. Matthew uh, 5, 11. Or 10, blessed are those who will be persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 11, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is a strange command from Christ. He's telling them, okay, you're going to join the church, Come and join the church. Be part of what I'm doing. Now, I want to let you know, you're going to be persecuted. People are going to insult you. They're going to call you names. They're going to to lie about you. They're going to abandon you. They're going to threaten you. So rejoice. Right? And you're going, well, that doesn't sound happy. That sounds hard. That sounds painful. It's not happy, but we're still supposed to be joyful. He juxtaposes this experience of unhappiness with the command to be rejoicing. He puts them right together in the same experience, and that's possible for us as Christians, even though I don't fully understand it. It's possible that we might be unhappy and rejoicing at the same time. Joy does not go away when we're unhappy. We can rejoice. It's a paradox, but it's a reality for us as Christians. Peter Peter teaches us, why we can, re- we can rejoice through these situations. These tests, they come to authenticate our faith. They come to authenticate our faith, to prove that it's real. These are the situations where we get to demonstrate that we actually, that we actually are holy and loyal to Christ. When you all came in here this morning, did you think about the chairs you sat on? Did you investigate to make sure that nobody had sawed a leg off or anything like that? Right? You all sat down on the chairs because you believed without a doubt that they would hold your weight just like they always have before. And I believe that you did because you're all sitting down now. But if someone was up here continuing to stand and said, I I don't know, I'm going to tell you, Pastor Duane, I do believe that this chair will hold me, but I won't sit down in it. I would say your faith has not been authenticated. It's not authentic. It's not real until you actually test the chair. So Peter builds on this idea of faith that's tested and he does this to help us. He wants us to understand this. Untested faith has no value that we can comprehend. Untested faith has no value that we can comprehend. It means nothing. If you believe that the Leafs will win a Stanley Cup, and you never cheer for them. <laughs> what does that matter, <laughs> right? Untested faith has no value that we can comprehend. And then he begins to compare it to gold in terms of worth. He used an illustration that we should all be able to get. He's basically saying no one buys gold that isn't, hasn't been authenticated through some type of testing. right? If you're buying a ring because you wanna get married or you're buying a ring because you wanna get out of trouble, Right? and you want it to be gold, you should be looking for a special mark on that ring. It should say 10 karat, or 14 carat, or 18 carat. Right, If you're investing in gold, you probably want it to be 24 karat. You want that in the documentation, because only tested gold, only gold that has been refined through fire has value. And guess what? The more tests that the gold passes, the higher the value climbs. Right, We understand that. So like gold is to us, faith that is tested is very valuable in God's eyes. Faith that is tested is very valuable in God's eyes. Hebrews 11.6 tells us something about faith. It says, without faith, it is, do you know the verse? It is impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. That tells me that faith, is valuable, and if you have faith, you should rejoice. If you have faith that can go through a trial, you should rejoice because without faith, it is impossible to please God. He puts a whole chapter about faith in there in Hebrews. Peter says that authentic faith is is more precious than 24 karat gold. Because when Jesus comes back, he's going to be looking not for gold. He's going to be looking for genuine faith. Genuine faith that has passed the test and the trials that have been set up so that your faith could be authenticated. He's going to look for that and he wants to reward it. And so we're going to prove our faith by how we held on through the trials. How we held on to Jesus through the struggles, through the mocking, through the isolation, through the difficult times, through the sicknesses. You can't prove your faith otherwise. You can't prove your faith without going through trials. There's no way to do it. So we have a great example in Scripture. We have Daniel and his, and his buddies, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abed- Abednego. Right? And they face some difficult tests. Back in uh, Daniel chapter 3, you don't, you don't need to go there, but I just want to reference something for you. Back in, in Daniel chapter 3, these young men had been challenged to, to worship a certain way, and they said, we can't do that, we, we don't belong to this kingdom, we, we're foreign nationals, we have different customs, and we still hold to the values of our, our home nation. He says, okay, well you guys are, are going to be in trouble, you're gonna suffer uh, the trial of the fiery furnace. And so uh, they respond with what I think is the, the attitude of joy. In verse uh, 16, if I have it right, they're talking to Nebuchadnezzar, and they answer to the king saying, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, this is the man who wants to punish them now. We have no need to answer you in this matter about why we're not worshiping um, or, or what's going to happen to us if you throw us into the fire. If this be so, if we must face this trial, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us, there's their faith, from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O oh, king. But... If not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Now, that sounds pretty much like a bunch of punks. Yeah. But I bet they were kind of smug and smiling. It's like, God's got this. He's got us. And we're going to go through this trial. And we're going to overcome this. And, and no matter what happens, all that's going to be proven is that we have 24-karat gold faith. Doesn't matter what you do to us, Nebuchadnezzar. We're rejoicing in that. I think joy is the feeling that sometimes wells up like courage in the face of these great trials that the church faces. So Jesus is going to be looking for that. So how do you prove your faith? How do you prove your faith? Well, Peter explains that in the broadest sense, we prove our faith when we show love and belief in Christ even though we haven't seen him. Even though we haven't seen him. Though you do not see, see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. And before that it says, though you have not seen him, you love him. So when we love Jesus and believe in him, when we do this under pressure to give Jesus up and move on to some type of easier or more accepted worldview, we prove our faith. So what does that mean? It means that spouses who keep on trusting Jesus through the test of a broken down marriage are authenticating their faith. It means that uh, single people who keep on trusting Jesus through the pain of loneliness are authenticating their faith. It means that students who keep on trusting Jesus and writing paper from a Christian worldview uh, through, through the test of an atheistic school system are authentic their, authenticating their faith. People who keep worshiping God. Through the test of a debilitating illness or a long period of unemployment or whatever the trial might be that represents to people in this room, when you're going through that and holding on to Christ, you are authenticating your faith. So can I just say this to you? If you're in this kind of testing period, maybe you haven't said it to anybody else, maybe there's only one or two people that know, maybe it's just between you and Jesus, but you know that you're being tested. Hold on to Christ. I know you know that, but hold on. Don't ever let him go. He's looking to put your faith on display. It will result in honor, praise, and glory. You own your joy when you walk by faith and not by sight. You own joy when you walk by faith and not by sight. We heard from Pastor Todd a reference in 2 Corinthians some time ago. I want to read you something else from Second Corinthians chapter four, verse sixteen to eighteen. It won't be on the screen, but you can just write it down. Second Corinthians four, sixteen to eighteen. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away; our inner self is being renewed day by day. There's suffering juxtaposed with rejoicing, for this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us eternal weight of glory behind beyond all compa- comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are seen are eternal. You own joy when you can walk by faith and not by sight. The Spirit has one more invitation for us for rejoicing. Rejoice because your salvation is happening now. The next verse, verse 9, connects tested faith with the glory that is yet to be revealed when Christ returns. And he says that the effect of this faith is obtaining for us the salvation of our souls. Sometimes we we forget the value of our faith. Sometimes we think our faith is in vain. But this passage is declaring for us that our faith has spiritual value. That it has an effect in this world. That it has a result. It's not useless to us. What Peter wants us to understand is that the faith that we express as we go through the trials, the faith that we express as we go through the hardships now, as we suffer now, it will result in praise and honor and glory for both Jesus and you later when he's revealed. Yes, we celebrate people who can make it through trials, but that's not the only reason we suffer. We don't suffer so we can have pride about, wow, we got through such a hard thing. Our faith Will result in praise and honor and glory for Jesus and us later when he returns. You will be rewarded for these moments of valor as you continue to hold on, rejoicing in Christ as you suffer. So we rejoice in that. Our faith isn't in vain. But we also rejoice because we are being saved for real. It's not a theoretical reality. It's actually happening. It's happening now. And so when we rejoice, this is what it does. It brings salvation out of history and prophecy and, and puts it into our reality. If we're not rejoicing about being saved, then I'm gonna say to you, it's not happening to you. Because salvation is awesome. The fact that we're being transformed, the fact that we could say, you know, I'm, I'm not the way I used to be, and I maybe not the way I'm gonna be, but I am changed. By the grace of God, I'm changed. That's amazing right? Salvation is this major event of world history. We've been celebrating it today in communion. It's where God dealt with the consequences of our sin and helped us overcome evil through one act of atonement. Anyone from any culture, any background, with any type of sin to confess, people who had zero or worse than zero credibility morally before God, even those who had been completely ignorant of God, could come to him and be saved now. Before Christ, it was sacrifice and sacrifice and sacrifice and no salvation. After Christ, because he is the sacrifice, we can come to God through him and be saved. And that is amazing. And he talks about this thing. The the prophets were trying to figure this out. They were looking into what this church thing would be like. What is this going to be about? Who is this savior? What is he going to do? Who are are these people that are going to experience the blessing of a Christ? And it says, the angels longed to look into what was coming. That's how the passage ends. These were things into which the angels longed to look. They are witnesses to the worship of the church every week as we anticipate the the revelation of our Savior. So I say that every week we come here together, we should rejoice like the angels are watching us. They're curious about this. They've been watching the whole thing from the beginning, through the fall, through, the, through, through the, the struggles of the Israelites, to Christ appearing, to him being crucified, to him being risen again, to the day of Pentecost. And he sees the church gathering and forming. And they see that and they say, this is it. This is what's happening. We're in that moment. The era of the church is happening now. And they want to see how we're going to rejoice. They want to see what we're doing now because they're thinking, what's it going to be like when Christ returns? What are they going to do when Jesus actually shows up? What are you going to do? What are you going to do when you see Jesus for the first time? How are you going to rejoice? What's that going to feel like for you? How will you express that? Do you even come close to that when you're worshiping? I know for me, as I've given it some thought, I think the first thing I'd do, I'd probably fall. I can't believe it. You know, I, I can't believe this is happening. I, I don't understand, he's right there. It's, it's true, he's right there. I'd call up some unbelievers that I don't know. Can you see this? You remember you teased me for this? Ha, ha, he's right there. I'd call up my mom, mom, we made it. Ah. In Canada, we'll probably stand and, and do something kind of quietly. But in Africa, they'll be dancing. They'll just make the music louder. Right? We're going to rejoice. And we want to get started with that right now. Maybe you're struggling to get to this level of rejoicing, so I want to help you. Because you can own some joy when you share your stories of salvation. Part of how we do that is how we sing. So when you sing these songs... Songs that may be familiar to you or songs that may be unfamiliar to you depending on where you are with us in Christ. Personalize them. Make the words your own. Don't let the lyrics belong to another person. Sing to God as though you're proclaiming your faith and sharing your own story. The world sometimes looks in on a church service and they think we're doing karaoke. But we're not. We're doing testimony something very different so when you're testifying the music doesn't matter the beat is secondary it doesn't really matter if you can even clap along to it Jesus can get the glory whether you're testifying over a rap song or whether your testimony is accompanied accompanied by elevator music your salvation is a current event it's happening now and rejoicing involves telling other people inviting people into your story so we're equipping you. We want you to go beyond words. We want you to have a, an invitation that's full of glory. So we're, we're giving you these cards. We want you to take lots of them. We want you to make invitations. And we want you to invite people. But don't just say, hey, come to this thing to my church. Don't do it that way. We're not asking you to promote an event. I don't want you to promote an event. I want you to share your story. So when you're talking to someone, even if it's just one person, you know what, say to them, you know what, I, I get unhappy. You know that. Right, but I I have this thing called joy that doesn't go away. And I don't know if you've really understood that yet, so here's what I'd like for you to do. I wonder if you'd like to come with me to church and see why, as Christians, we don't give up celebrating Christmas. We don't give up meeting together. We don't give up singing songs because we have this joy. Tell it like a story, invite them into it. That's how you own your joy. So take lots of cards and be enthusiastic as you spread them around. So the Spirit wants us to do one thing this morning, so we should do it. I want you to stand up. Because we want to rejoice. And we know what we're aiming for. We want to rejoice beyond words. A rejoicing that is beyond words and full of glory, even though we're not at home in this world. And even though we are facing some tests of our faith, we want to rejoice because our salvation is real and it's happening now. He wants us to rejoice like that. Can you do it? Can you sing these songs as though they're your own? The band's going to lead us. You guys ready? All right. Let's rejoice. Thanks so much for listening. We always love hearing about the work God's doing in our listeners. If God's been doing a work in you, send us an email at info at harvestberry.ca. And remember, you are loved.